Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. This week, I'm talking to Ian Shelton. He's one of those very prolific musicians in the punk community who's been a part of countless bands at this point. But uh, he most notably plays drums and sings in Regional Justice Center, who has a new record coming out March 5th on Closed Casket Activities called Crime and Punishment. Last year, he uh, put out new music with two new acts, including Military Gun and Sex with a Terrorist. Ian also directs music videos and has uh, worked with artists like Gate Creeper, Angel Dust, Super Crush, and more. Uh, he's an awesome kind of no bullshit guy, and I appreciate him and the output he has. Uh, so, you know, strap in for a great talk. Also, you know, I rarely I actually never do this at the front of a podcast. Um, I usually save it for the end if people are still sticking around. But, um, you know, this uh, we're we're 30 plus episodes deep here and. I just want to add thank you to anyone who, you know, has been listening and follows along every week. And, um, you know, if if it, if uh, you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I really would appreciate if you did that um, rate or review the podcast on Apple on the Apple network. That's super helpful. Um, you know, I'm trying to grow the show and keep it going. And um, yeah, so doing that is a huge help. All right. That's all. That's 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 my awkward uh, pitch. <laughs> uh thank you so much for being here uh i hope you enjoyed this conversation with ian shelton uh this is the first ever podcast thanks ian thanks so much for coming on the show i'm uh i was looking forward to this to this talk a lot when you when we started texting about uh this conversation so thanks for coming on yeah thank you for having me how's uh how's your morning so far Morning's good. Uh, have the day off, so I'm probably gonna play video games and go demo some songs. And that'll nice. be it. Are, do you when you demo? Are you doing them at the practice space? Yeah, yeah. So, so we uh, for the listeners, our practice space doors are next to each other. So if, if <laughs> yes. each other are are uh, making any music, we can hear it. That's all. It's only exactly. happened once in my experience, though, that you guys that Touche was in. We're practicing and that I was also at the space. It was only once yeah. ever that it happened. Yeah, I feel like uh, I, I, we don't really ever see anybody. We run, um, we've been there, I think, one time when Kira was there. and Yeah, that might have been the same time because Kira was there too. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, I mean, we also haven't literally even entered that room. Actually, we've entered that room one time since since 2019 yeah wait did you practice somewhere else for your writing sessions for the new album no so okay so er, sorry i was wrong early 2020 we were we were finishing writing the record but then we rehearsed for that live for that like live set stream that we did Mm. for a a record release uh one time after that but since then we haven't even been in that room so um, is it super quiet there i have to imagine it is, except for literally the neighbor on the other side who is always making noise uh, whenever <laughs> I'm trying to work on stuff, which sucks because oh, no. like, if I'm trying to sing something, uh, yeah. like the way that the compressor on the phone works is that literally it'll have that as loud until I start like singing. And then oh. like it just makes it so fucking noisy and terrible. They're the only people and they're there the same time as me. Always. <laughs> it's always the same time as me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, for yeah, for people listening at home, this is the. I mean, I'm sure so many people have experiences with uh, with practice spaces, but I feel like LA specific practice spaces are so bizarre. Um, because 
well, my thing my favorite I was thinking about this. I think my favorite thing about the LA practice space is that you have such a wide spectrum of music going on at all times. So like we've been a practice basis where it's like a killer mariachi band happening two doors <laughs> down while there's on the other side of it, like the most D beat crust band playing. And there's like the crazy thing is about our neighbors is that I swear to God, sometimes they're the coolest noise rock band. And then some and then it's like the weirdest, most like dad thrash metal like but it's the same <laughs> band practicing so right you can tell there's some war you have the guitar player who loves jesus lizard and then like the <laughs> the other guy i don't know yeah 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 i know that band dive that d-i-i-v I yeah know they i were... hear them practicing because they're i think they're upstairs not they not are upstairs anyone knows what we're talking about. So, yeah yeah and i'm like oh damn this whatever's happening right now fucking rocks and the next time it'd be like <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like whenever I'm there, it's just always just one lone guy playing the same drum beat for six hours. That's always. usually what I... <laughs> that was yesterday. Yesterday it was... Like, it was forever. It sucks. Yeah, oh my God. Um, it's always, I mean, it is nice having uh, having you guys be next door or just in the vicinity because, uh, it, you know... You have that element of surprise when you actually do show up there. You're like, oh, maybe I'm going to see a friend. That'll be nice. Um, so, you know, that's that's an upside. I'm going to look at it that way. Definitely. But, um, yeah. So, yo, are you, uh, you know, you and I have known each other now for for a few years. And I was I was talking to my girl last night a little bit about it where I was telling her I was going to interview you. And there's a few friends I have in my life that are like good business friends, you know, like where, yeah. where I can be on a walk and I can just be like, I'm just going to call Ian or like, I'll just get a random call from you and we'll just talk bullshit about something or other for like an hour. And it's like you and like Michael Bingham is one of those people for me. Um, but, but yeah, so, uh, but that being said, I don't think I know a whole lot about your actual life, which is kind of funny, which is what I like doing the show. Uh, like one of the reasons I like doing the show for these kind of conversations. So like, I always, you're from the Northwest originally, right? Like from Seattle? Uh, so I'm from a town called Enumclaw. That's where I moved when I was uh, like 12, 13 years old. But that, and it, that, 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 the town is most famous for Mr. Hands. Are you aware of Mr. Hands? Uh, oh, Jesus. <laughs> do, you, uh, do you say Jesus because you know or Jesus because uh, you're assuming it's bad? <laughs> uh, well, wait, what, what, is, what is Mr. Hands to you? Mr. Hands is a man who died by uh, having sex with a sex horse. Sex with a horse. So that happened. That happened like the year that I moved to that town. Oh my god! Did everyone? Notorious. What, what was it? I mean, this is a gnarly start to a podcast. Did everyone in that town know <laughs> what was that? Well, like? so the actual deal is. Um, so I, apparently the. There's a documentary about it called Zoo. I actually haven't even watched it, despite my pride over Mr. Hands <laughs> and and Enumclaw. Uh, right. But uh, apparently, it was it's like a world-renowned bestiality. Because so in Washington State, bestiality was legal as long as the animal was bigger than you. So people would come from around the world to get fucked by animals. Jesus Christ! In Washington State. So um, yeah, apparently this is a thing that happened, and uh, but uh, apparently the, uh, the supposedly the farm hands were the people running the like bestiality ring, and the owners didn't know about it because they were like living in Europe or something like that. I don't know exactly the details, but it wasn't like a like the guy who died wasn't even from our town; he was from somewhere else. But 
Ah. The farm was in our town. So Got it. Did it become like a spectacle? Like, oh, that's the place? Uh, for me. <laughs> I pass it and I'm like, there it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, so I'm from, you know, I'm from Burbank, which is like the media city capital of the world. And the way I'm going to tie this together is like when people come to my t- come visit, I'm like, oh, yo, there's the parking lot that Marty McFly skateboards out of in the beginning of uh, Back <laughs> to the Future. <laughs> and you got, yo, there's the there's the farm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's uh, Mr. Hands's uh, resting place. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, well, that's the darkest start to a podcast I've had so far. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so you said you're, fr- you're not born and raised there or you were born and raised in that town or you said you moved. No, there. no, I was born and raised in California. Um, oh. uh, yeah, I'm from the, from the East Bay. I'm from Concord, California. Oh, okay. Why the move up North? <sighs> My parents were out trying to outrun themselves. <laughs> they thought okay. that, uh, they thought that uh, there could be salvation. Uh, they could be different people if they moved away from from where they were at. Little did they know okay. it wouldn't work that way. But, but yeah, I mean that was essentially it. Was just you know like I think the same reason that a lot of families move. Like uh, you know your your parents like relationship is struggling or there's you have a lot of problems in the certain area and then you try to run from it and reinvent yourself. And that was I think what my parents were seeking. With moving to a, from the, the Bay Area of California to a, a fucking like three mile long town in Washington. Do you have a lot of memories of that town still? Yeah, definitely. I can make my way around. And because um, I mean, those were the years like right before I left was like when when, you know, like you really start going out on the, on your BMX bike and like just going okay. everywhere, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, tons of tons of memories. Uh don't really keep in touch with anyone there's some people who are associated with like punk and hardcore that uh i kept up with uh throughout time but no one no one that that, like went into like a notable band or anything how far is that town from seattle uh so enumclaw is is like an hour like hour 15 from seattle is that north or it's southeast i believe and so like growing up i used to go to shows in tacoma a lot and like it's like pretty equidistant of like seattle and tacoma and then olympia is like the far jump but okay it was good spot to be in for like a budding uh punk rocker because one i felt scapegoated constantly (laughs) and then two uh it was you know the reasonable driving distance from each of the locations right got it what was uh do you remember what your first experiences finding music was when you were when you were young? When I was young, I remember it being Garth Brooks and Elton John. Okay. Like I couldn't I listened nice. to Elton John. I still love Elton John. Uh I yeah. couldn't say that I've listened to like Garth Brooks in recent history, but I remember I really liked them. And then I remember uh like when I started to be interested in Blink 182, but not when I like like I was like, okay, that seems cool. Like when I saw the all the small things video, and yeah. then um, like it took me probably still another year to get the CD, but like I remember thinking like that seems cool over there, you know, uh, right? And that was like kind of the budding interest of like my active interest in music. Okay, so when uh, when did playing music start for you? What what how like how big of a gap between when you found Blink One Eighty Two and when you decided to play music? How like how big of a jump was there? uh probably two years probably i think i got my first i got a bass guitar in like fifth grade and uh then 
uh, like sixth grade, I played in a band with friends and we played the talent show and all that stuff. Uh, and then we moved away after that. And then like it was kind of a pretty big lapse in finding people to play music with once I moved to Enumclaw where there was nothing but Hicks. Okay, got it. So this is all still in Concord. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Like my earliest like punk memories and everything was in Concord. And then then like I moved up and was like uh, an island in Enumclaw. Okay, got it. That man, that had to have been jarring going from like it, I'm playing. It playing was jarring going friends. from yeah. like uh you know, like a fifty percent Latino school to literally a town with like one black kid, you know? Right. Uh yeah. complete culture shock. Right. Um so when what was what was this what was the story with that first band that you did? Was it like a like a pop punky Blink one eighty two kind of attempt? band that no you, we that were you trying to be like street with? punk we're trying to be like street oh, okay punk. i mean like at that point i had already listened like it like in sixth grade like people started showing me dead kennedy's misfits operation ivy like all of these things and i mean we played uh at the talent show we played one original song and then half of long view by green day so it's kind of like a confused <laughs> thing but like uh and it was I instrumental like <laughs> we played half we, we couldn't do i we couldn't do the bridge like it's like a little bit more hard so i thought you were gonna say because you couldn't say when masturbation no we did it all instrumental (laughs) instrumental punk rock music terrible (laughs) oh that's so good that's so Um, good so then when you move you you moved away and then eventually like how how soon did you discover that there was a scene in tacoma because i mean even when when Touche first started touring, I mean, it was a that was a pretty apparent thing to us. First couple tours we did were just West Coast tours, and it was very, uh, it was very obvious that like Tacoma and Olympia had such a thriving scene that. Yeah, um, I played shows on that tour on those tours with you guys. By the way, what sh- with who? What what was played this? the Viaduct with? Was it Touche and Hour of the Wolf? Did you do a tour with Hour of the Wolf? Yes. Yeah, and yeah, make played the, I played the Bellingham show. And I played the Tacoma show on that tour. I remember the t- the Bellingham show. My band was was opening, and uh, I had to babysit my brothers that day. And I told my mom that we were going to make a trip to Seattle, but really we were driving all the way to Bellingham. And so I had to bring my I had to like secretly bring my two little brothers with oh me for us to go open the show, and I had to leave immediately afterwards oh my <laughs> to God. make what it home before you? my parents yeah. got home. <laughs> what band were you? What band was, was that? Uh, one? It was a band called Bully, not to be confused with this successful band called Bully. Sub pop band. Yeah, yeah it's funny. I was I was looking at uh at your kind of full discography, which which is utterly crazy. Like <laughs> the amount of output that you've had since 2011, it seems. That is that the first release would, would have been with Bully in 2011. That was the first seven inch that I played on. Yeah, that was the yeah, first, yeah, yeah. That was like the first real release, uh, right? For the most part, and it feels like since 2011, you just hit the ground running. Where like- well, I I don't think I mean honestly, like I I I from like 2011 till probably 2015, I didn't really write songs and bands. Um, and I mean, New Gods like I think started around 2013, but like yeah. Uh, I was pl- just playing drums in a lot of bands, and and uh, so I was associated with a lot of releases, but I wouldn't consider them like mine, you know. Whereas I think since 2015, where I've been trying to write more and more 
myself and not like wait for other people, that's when I feel like I hit the ground running. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, cause, I mean, I, I feel, you know, being a, this is, <laughs> I really, this is a, this is a compliment, I swear. But like, I feel like <laughs> when I feel, I feel like when you're a drummer, you're, you're, you end up kind of being like the friend with the pickup truck where, mm-hmm. where exactly. like, oh, shit, are you, are you available? Like, do you think you'd help me out with this thing? And, uh, and because of that, you end up on a lot of records. Is that fair well, to say? That's fair to say. But I think also, you know, I, I personally was just super hungry to do anything, you know, like I, I got in into bands with people who are a lot older than me. And I thought that that was super cool. And I would actually like encourage other people to not do the same, like stay within your peer group and stay with people that are like going for a certain goal. Like I, I was in, in bands with people who had like career jobs where I think right. a lot of the years where I could have been like full-time touring as like a 21 year old or something I instead I was like doing the occasional west coast and you know like um I think that kind of created like a caged animal within me uh, now that like once I started doing RJC and I wasn't dependent on other people that I like yeah. just did everything but um you know I uh, that definitely that drummer logic completely adds up but it's just don't get trapped uh playing <laughs> in other people's bands you know right yeah if if especially if they don't have the same drive that you have as a young person that makes total exactly. sense yeah um i feel like i was trying to trace it i think i met you the first time backstage at the echo with you were talking to pat i can't remember if it was a drum oh yeah, yeah. Show or it, it was, was a self-defense, self-defense show. family show yeah yeah because you played in self-defense for a bit too what how did you end up meeting them and just in general so I um I did a band called uh, Seattle's New Gods, yeah. And Pat liked that band and wanted to put us out on Anybody's Flowers, his label that he did with this guy Nick Fit, mm-hmm. and um so he asked us to do that. Like through that, I we like stayed with him on tour and met him and we're like, God, this guy loves talking, and then uh. <laughs> And just slowly, you know, like, and then I, I floated it out there once. I was like, hey, I would like really like to, to play with you guys if ever you need a drummer. Like, and that's the other thing is like being a drummer, you open so many doors. Like you could you could play in a million bands that you, you don't even like, but you'll get to travel the world if you're a drummer and you're competent and not like a weirdo. Which which uh, I'm going to chime in and, and, uh, and take another slight jab at drummers. Also hard to <laughs> find. Uh, yeah, drummers <laughs> are fucking weird. Uh, uh-huh. And so, so that was kind of how... So I just kind of floated out there that I wanted to play drums and like, oh, we don't actually we don't have anyone for this like upcoming European tour with um, Creative Adult. And also they it kind of was all like, a th- you know, like I kind of knew Pat a little bit through the Seattle's New Gods business. And then they played Seattle and um, I hooked them up with the recording engineer. Then I went and like hung out a bit at the session and met everybody. I remember I grabbed them all lunch trying to like total brown nose like, like I'll, go, right. I'll, I'll be your guys runner. Like I'll go grab food for you. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of like, you know, we played a couple shows together with self-defense and then slowly I, I infiltrated. Right. Yeah. That's the way to do it with this conversation. There's so many different things to hit on. And I know regional justice center will have a big, a big chunk coming up, but, um, you also do music videos, which is a whole other side of, uh, of your life and, and your career. And I'm curious when that started for you when did your interest in making music videos start so i mean like i always grew up and i thought that um it's like kind of a a convoluted path but it was like i always was like 
loved, uh, I always thought I was going to like write books, you know? And in that I was like, okay, eventually I'll write a, a book or whatever about like all this crazy shit that I've seen and, and, and done. And then I was like, I don't really read books. <laughs> I don't have the attention span, you know? I was like, you know what I do love is I love movies. And then I was like, all right, well, maybe I'll try and like write movies. And then I was like, well, then you have to hand it off to somebody else. And that seems stupid. So why don't I just learn about directing? And so like basically from there, I started using music videos to learn to direct. And, and that, that kind of happened at the same time as Seattle's New Gods. Like we recorded our first record and, and I did my first music video with that. And then slowly tried to like work my way into working with more and more people and, and getting better at learning the craft of it. Okay. So, and how many have you done at this point? I don't know. Probably like between 30 and 40. Only I would say probably about five good. <laughs> five, five good out of like 30 something. <laughs> is that you being just real hard on yourself or is or what? I mean, because I've uh, seen I've seen a handful. I know I've seen a handful and they're they're certainly competent. Yeah, I mean, it just depends. I mean, there's different things that I want to accomplish and what are, whether or not I think they're applicable to. I think that they're probably good as promotional pieces for bands, but I okay. don't know if they're actually good directorial pieces. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if they stand out among the I, among like the entire art form, you know? Whereas yeah. like I, I look at at some of my what I'm growing into with my musical output, I'm like, OK, I could actually put this against other things throughout the span of a genre. That's what you hope, you know. Do you always write the treatments for the music videos or does the bands often bring you something and say, this is what we're thinking? Bands almost never have any ideas. In almost. Period. Yeah, that's it. End statement. So, so, uh, yeah. When it comes to songwriting, when it comes, to, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it it's just like, uh, yeah. Usually, it's like the band has no notes, or that, or what happens? The, uh, the there's two options. The band has no notes, nothing, or they attach a. Uh, they say we want something like this, and it's a five hundred thousand dollar music video, <laughs> and right. they're they're giving you ten grand. To work with yeah so uh those are the two options you know like uh, a band uh who had a you know i don't know twenty thousand dollars attached adore you by harry styles they said they want something like this and i was right. like adore you by harry styles is probably a million dollars like there's <laughs> there's there's no similarities that we're going to be able to get here with this disparity um and yeah i don't know that that, that yeah almost never do I get any okay. sort of feedback? Sometimes tonal stuff. I, I recently pitched on a job for like a techno artist and I was super excited because it actually came with a full art direction. Um, like it came with everything. Like it came with its own deck and then I had to submit a treatment based upon everything that they had already given me. And that was like fun because I was just playing in their world. Um, but it's rare that anyone gives you anything to go off of. So you prefer having as much information as possible? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because I mean, like you could think that you're making something for yourself, but at the end of the day, you're just making a piece of like commercial entertainment for a band, you know, and right. with that, you want to feel that you are that you, that one, you're not wasting your time because they understand you understand what they want. When, you know, whereas there's so many videos I've pitched on where it's just like band has no notes, like here's their 
pop punk song and you're like, okay, like I could go a thousand ways with this or, you know, like mm-hmm. you just don't know if you're going to even it. Most of the time it's just a waste of time. So, um, you know, you, the more, the more you get, the closer you can get, uh, to, to what they want. And I think about the best products I have made are ones that I made in collaboration with the band where like, uh, you know, they start with like a sim- very simple idea and then we build it out together. And I think that like in collaboration, it's the, it's the best, uh, you get the best product. That makes complete sense. Do you find that you thrive more doing more performance-based videos or do you have any sort of strong feelings about storyline videos? I mean, I really don't like the uh, story intercut with performance videos. Uh, Mm -hmm. A performance video is the easiest of all videos. And so those are the funnest on-set days. Because yeah. there's not the stresses of, oh, we're going to move locations. I was actually just talking to the to the guy who who is the director of photography on a lot of my videos. And I was like, just slowly learning, like, God, we're never going to change locations on a video ever again. Unless we have <laughs> a lot of fucking money. And yeah. that's, uh, and, you know, I don't know. It's about learning your means. Like, you know, I feel like when... I came from making, you know, three hundred to five hundred dollar videos to then making a twenty thousand dollar video. You you feel like the world is just suddenly opened up, but really it it hasn't at all because what you're paying for is crew. You're paying for mm-hmm. other people's time. You're not paying for more days. You're not paying for any of the things that you think you will be. Yeah. Do you have any music videos that that you like to reference or things that that you've seen? uh that have influenced you at all that you're like oh, that's just a good video it doesn't have to be a yes pure. It, it just be like yeah anything. no no i mean yeah none of them are made by uh well so Mace, this guy mason mercer he's one of my best friends and, and i always i love his work i don't think i ever really reference it um there's this video by this band called indochine it's like a french canadian band and uh mm-hmm. it's this video it's a song called college boy um that like tonally so basically like what i what i love most is is music videos made by um by people who actually make movies because usually they're the they have the correct scope of oh, storytelling right. yeah. and, and and interest <laughs> i always watch this uh yorgos lanthimos made a music video for this band called leon of athens whoa and, i didn't know that uh it's so it's so him and I always love that tone. But those two are the one, two that I always watch um, before going into a project. Uh, music video for the song called Bugatti. Always, uh, I just love that video. It's so satisfying. Uh, I don't know. It's it's a lot of different stuff. And sometimes, you know, it depends. Like, obviously, everyone watches. If you're in music video, you're like, oh, everyone loves Spike Jones, And, you know, right. watch a lot of fucking Spike Jones music videos. I think it's funny. I think my favorite Spike Jones video is the one for that band Wax, the song California. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just the Legendary. guy running down the street on fire. Slow motion. It's, it's so um, people wouldn't realize how like obviously people realize like, oh, it's a guy on fire. Right. But yeah. then the depths that change behind the the character and then the fact that it's all from the perspective of the little girl. It's like there's so much more going on that people don't. Mm-hmm. realize you know yeah um and that's what makes it stand that test of time that uh, that a one shot video that like for the first you know 20 seconds you're staring at a shoe on fire essentially mm-hmm. and then like by the end you're like watching a guy trying to make his bus 
And so it's yeah. just like like uh yeah, and that's those little things that that uh that keep it and and make it stand that test of time. If I know something uh, I don't know if you know this. Do you know who sings in that band Wax? No. Guy who owns Side One Dummy Records. Joseph. Oh wow. That's crazy. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I mean, good for uh, him that he went on to um <clears throat> be a suit. <laughs> right. <laughs> that that I mean, I have that that song is great. It's like a total it's like when I think of, of just California songs in general, that one that one is is always top tier. I mean, there's a billion songs about California, but yeah. that one's so on the nose, but just real good. It's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. It's good um song. so okay, let's we could talk regional justice center. So one of the things that caught my eye when when just kind of like going over the discography, which has been super consistent since 2017 when you did that first seven inch, right? It, that was yep, the first, yep. yeah, yeah, first yeah. demo, 2017. My first, well, my first question is the label that put that out. Who is Life of Dreams? Because I saw they only put out that and one other seven inch. Is that like a friend? What was? How did yeah, that yeah, happen? it's a friend. Uh, my friend Kevin Hart, uh, white, white Kevin Hart. Um, <laughs> he uh, he plays in a band called Public Opinion, and he just like. I refer to him as someone who like like will have an idea and you know it'll kind of boom and then like it, it, something deters him a little bit and then he moves on. So I wouldn't be surprised if that label came back eventually. I feel like now he's in a in a renaissance of like trying to hustle on music right now. So I'm, I'm hoping that okay. he freaking grinds it out. Yeah. It's always a fun conversation to have with I don't think I've had it on the podcast, but I I'm curious to hear your insight on this. So the first 12 inches, the world of inconvenience record. And that's yep. definitely around the time that I, I got to know you. And that, that record had seemingly seven or eight different record labels attached to it. Yeah. Between, <laughs> <laughs> between uh, like different, the different countries that it was released in and all that. So the main label was to live a lie, which is a, a notable like power violence uh, record label. But the uh, but yeah, it's it's like you got Adagio eight three zero, which is a German label, um, it, which is an awesome label. Put out puts out tons of like cool hardcore and screamo and and stuff like that. Uh, great guy who owns it as well. Um, but then you also have like a France label called Straighten Alert. You have um just forever uh, never ends in, in the u.s as well it was just to 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 so as a band that nobody knew um yeah. like like so when we did the lp we had done one west coast tour we were this band that you know didn't even have a hundred monthly listeners on spotify and i hit up to live a lie i hit up you know like all the usual specs all the usual suspects of like the, the hardcore labels you would want to work on your record yeah. and um and I knew that Mark was going to do the art and I knew all these things about it, but I was like, nobody knew who we were. And so I kind of just cold emailed all these people and uh, things like to live a lie wasn't willing to take the risk themselves. They're like, we're down to like, you know, take a 150 copies of this. We'll, we'll pay for 150 copies. And so by the end of after I heard from everybody and, you know, Adagio liked it and Straight and Alert liked it. Um, it was just like, okay, well, let's do one master pressing out of like GZ in the in the EU, and then um, you know we'll get our U.S. copies shipped. And the U.S. pressing was only three hundred on that because it was like, you know, I don't know that anyone's gonna care about this mm -hmm. fucking thing. 
And yeah. uh, it basically was just a thing of like, you know, split releasing is very complicated because, I mean, the day that we launched that record, it was four web stores that you had to order from. That's um, what I'm saying. <laughs> I, it's it's not great. It's not a great system. Like with the with the sex with the terrorist stuff, I, I had two friends labels release it. Um, and we just did one. Just the band camp was the place that you could buy it. And yeah. so um, I think that that type of thing of like simplification is important in those because the marketing is incredibly hard. But I mean, I would encourage, you know, if you're in a band that uh, you don't want to financially fuck any one person over, <laughs> like just try and split release it and, you know, offset the risk for all the people involved. And when you do uh, get a record put out, you know, take care of your investors by fucking working hard and going and promoting it. I feel that for sure. I mean, that was going to be kind of my question is like, how do you juggle making sure everybody's good? Like, and also who actually, if you're okay talking about it, like, was there one specific label that fronted the cost of the production or did you do that? And then you just divvied up the copies. What was, what was the, no, plan? I mean, it was everyone just kind of sent. So, uh, Robert from Adagio handled that, yeah. that pressing and everyone just sent him the money and then, you know, got their copies. And then, like, okay, so, so we he, straight and okay. alert booked us a e, e, uh, European tour. And so, like, I was like, all right, well, don't ship us any copies of the record. Just like save them for when we come over. And so we just had copies waiting for us from the European press. And then the US press was super small. And like, you know, it, it hung around for a minute, but it was gone not too long after. Right, right. Has that has that been that's been repressed, right? Yeah, I, I redid it with uh, uh, now to add the complication. Alternatives repressed it uh, with to live a lie, so they, there's a second press of 500 copies or something. Okay, when you went over to get those European copies, uh, was that your first European tour that you no, that, uh, for you that you'd ever done? No, no, I that was my third. You did the self defense one. That, was, I that did your, was that your first yeah, one? Yeah. That was okay, my yeah, second yeah, yeah. one. What was actually your first U.S. tour that you ever did? U.S. tour? that My first U.S. tour was literally last fall. I, this is the what? only time I've ever done a full U.S. With Regional Justice Center? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'd never been able to get the right group of friends to do a full U.S. Like, wow. no band I've ever done worked hard enough to do a full U.S. And Regional Justice Center had played everywhere. You know, like, there were some places that we played, like, Chicago and... um like Miami and like some some markets we hadn't been to but uh we we were big on two to three week tours up until we did the, a six week tour so we would do you know a tour starting in the northwest and it would go to Texas or then we'd start in LA and go to Florida or we'd do a two week east coast jaunt you know like um and then 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 the first US tour I ever did was last fall which is crazy wow. to think about it was, I was yeah, like yeah, excited yeah. cuz I had been waiting my entire uh punk life to do a fucking full us yeah how do you i mean your first even just your first like west coast tour do you have many memories of how that how you felt during it or like how it made you just kind of feel adapting to that sort of lifestyle i yeah i just felt like i was on top of the world i mean playing like even that you know back then for me it was, you know, the MySpace days and um, trying to trick and steal your way onto any bill possible. And yeah. uh, playing to 20 people felt amazing. You know, uh, we did a, our first tour in a Subaru. And um, 
it just was like everything was great and i feel like i still have that exact feeling i'm super appreciative for any amount of people i was kind of like lately with the lack of excitement in the in the world is like i've been uh with the new rjc songs dropping i've been like looking at how many people are listening to us at a time and sometimes like oh 20 to 40 i was like that'd be you know a show that i'd be excited to play <laughs> you know yeah it's a, i mean that's uh it, I, it's funny I, I one time toured the band um way before Tuesday, like 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 a, a band from salt lake and i remember them one time telling me to me like seven is our number if there's seven people there it's a good ass show <laughs> i was like yeah it's sick as it hell. can it can oh. be it's great <laughs> yeah I, I just love that mentality of it's like you keep your expectations uh pretty pretty low and you're gonna be fine like the fact that anyone buys my like blast beat hardcore bands records is nuts to me and i'm appreciative for every day that anyone cares about it oh well it's you're you're quite good at it i'm actually curious when did you start playing drums because it sounded like you played bass and then i'm assuming you went to guitar after that when did you start playing drums uh in ninth grade i asked for a drum set for my birthday so that i could drum and sing in a power violence band wow that's so, a big goal for for a first drum set being like yeah i'm gonna play like the fastest hardest music i could play while also having to scream yeah literally like my first experiences were drumming and singing like i i my friend and i would you know write really like rudimentary like terrible songs which is like but i would be yelling the whole time um yeah and so it just kind of was like the way that i learned to play drums was one playing blast beats and then two, like also yelling while doing so. Damn. <laughs> you're also the your poor neighbors. That's uh that's a, that's a luckily we lived in the country. So oh, true. not yeah. too terrible. I don't think yeah. Zabalba yeah, yeah, played yeah. in my garage once though, in Enumclaw. No way. Yeah. <laughs> On their first West Coast tour. Uh, they like had a show fall through. I don't know why anyone agreed. <laughs> to come play it was like a matinee show essentially it like in and talk about being appreciative for 20 people like that was yeah. in my garage 20 people felt like a lot um yeah but but yeah zavalbo played in enumclaw once oh that's so cool <laughs> i hope that funny. there's hardcore kids coming from enumclaw and they hear that you know like oh I, right yeah I, maybe someday maybe someday um it's funny you talk it i mean we jumping all around because you have you have all these different things to that that you have going on it's like you have <laughs> you talking about um that sort of uh hustler mentality of hopping on every show and like kind of you know like looking for opportunities and stuff i'm i'm curious if you would agree that that nature has always sort of stayed with you because of all the labels continue going forward that you even had rjc attached to because you've put out stuff now with like atomic action triple b closed casket pop wig like even uh cosmic note my boy uchu in uh yeah, in Japan. Uchu. yeah he's he's the coolest uh talk about lying and cheating your way to something i fucking hassled uchu to get us to japan <laughs> at one point <laughs> so, at one point he disappeared on us and i started messaging other people being like yo do you know uchu <laughs> That's so uh, cool. But no, yeah, the mentality never left. I mean, I, I am definitely more um, aware of my actions as an adult now where, you know, like I'm not trying to hop on a show. Uh, I'm not trying to hop on other people's shows anymore because that yeah. is 
there's a financial factor in that. Um, right. One for myself and two for that other band. You know, like I always think about, you know, like say if, if Touche and RJC are in the same city, um, as much as we would like to play together, you know, you have a guarantee. We want to make a certain amount. You know, like it, like it, it's not all homie shit if we're fucking on the other side of the world or whatever. And so, right. like, um, you know, you just try to make sure that you're not, because, because, oh, and it happens to us now where bands try to follow our route or whatever and, and hop on our shows. And like, when that happens, you have to be like, hey, like, sorry, like, it's just, you know, you can play this show or whatever, but there's got to be this, these certain arrangements. And so, you know, and, and I don't do that to other people because that was something that I used to do as a kid. I used to think like, oh, um, my, these guys that I know's bands going on tour, like I should ask if we could play five of the shows or something. And it's like, well, you, they don't want to give us gas money, you know, like right. they don't want us on their shows. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And no, so, I, you know, I, yeah. super relatable. I, when it's funny that hour, of the wolf show that you would have played, it was a situation where, we were trying to book a West Coast tour because we got asked to do uh, kind of like a fest, which was like a, a fest that happened in the Bay. They yeah, had like, I remember that. It was like put on by Comadre. Yeah. And um, and so we got asked to do that. And we were like psyched because like, you know, we had a really hard time finding friends in in California as, as the kind of music we made. You know, like we we always felt like outliers and, and we still kind of do, you know? Um, yeah. So for us when Kamadre kind of you know welcomed us to their to their world which is all we really wanted it was like we have to do this so it was like Kamadre punch all, you know that world of bands and iron lung even played that iron lung and gehenna right also played that was a different year that i think that was oh, a different okay. year our, our our year was like spires uh our the wolf make doing well what i was gonna say is like so make doing mend and hour the wolf had a west coast tour booked up to seattle and we were like uh so we just hit them up like is there any way we could play these shows and they were super nice and let us on most of them but like that was how that worked for us too it's like that's what you have to do when you're starting out you know it's like it is a hustle but like i'm with you as you get older especially when your band is like more established the idea of hopping of just like joining shows it's like yeah in concept it's great because also it gives the people who want to go to both shows uh a good night but but it can get tricky when it comes to figuring out if everyone can get paid what they need to be paid to and there's just overhead and that and that that's yeah. the whole thing you know it's not about greed it's like none of us are fucking making out like bandits in this situation no. i yeah. at the same time i always like try to think about i try to remember this specific uh incident where there was a day where i bully played in tucson arizona and played to nobody we played to the other band which ended up being che who plays in rjc and and he played in seattle's new gods and we've done a ton of bands together like that's the day i met him but he was like oh let's try and get you on this defiance ohio show happening across town <laughs> and we defiance ohio said you can play but you have to play after us so dick move right but at the right, same yeah. time they gave us a hundred bucks out of their pocket you know, like as a yeah. as a as a struggling like nobody band that honestly had no business being on tour because we weren't good, um, like they fucking put it down. You know, they they supported us. Like I, they probably didn't give a shit. There's like, oh, these kids like are wearing spaz shirts. Like that's cool, um, right? But like, 
you know, so you try to find that balance of, of like, okay, how do I actually help like a younger band than myself? But like at the same time, no, you can't play a week of our shows. Like, yeah. um, and, and it's just a complicated, uh, thing. Yeah. No, you no try doubt, not to no sound doubt. like a dickhead. It's funny because yeah. it's not even relevant, but it's going to become hyper relevant in post COVID world because every band on earth is going to want on every show. Yeah. I mean, I'm, uh, if I can, I've you've been already trying to think about how that all is going to go. I mean, having conversations with our booking agent and having conversations with bands or whatever, like it is going to be the fucking wild west when this shit opens yeah, it's like, up. Like, who do you take? Like, you want the youngest, hungriest band that's on the grow, but then you want your homies and you want like it's going to yeah. be a band like like you guys who are, who are headliners, like deciding who's going to who you're going to take out is going to be crazy. I'm, imagine a massive headache. Yeah, well, it always is. And the hardest part ever about booking a tour for us historically has been a direct support band because there is an endless supply of first of threes or, you know, uh, there's an endless supply because, like you said, there's there's young, hungry, hype bands, whatever you want to call them, that you're just like, yeah, like a band that would be psyched to take, you know, 300 bucks and play a 20 minute set every night. You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's so many bands that are great like that. But it's the band that is uh, that ha- is a consistent band that can draw at least 100 kids or 200 yeah. kids or whatever and figuring out if they can make it financially. And, you know, it's just like or, you know, there's it's just it's always hard. It, it's always, always hard. And uh, that's when I get really self-deprecating where I'm always just like no one wants to tour with us like all you know there's always like the same 20 bands that we hit up and it's always knows because either they're already on tour or they have their recording or whatever it is and uh yeah that's that's historically always the hardest part but yeah it's funny like talking to uh talking to our agent the conversation reminds me of like kind of what we're talking about even with like booking diy stuff is like you know back when being from southern california you would do the thing where you would book a tour and then, you know, someone in say fucking, you know, Richmond, Virginia helped you out with the show. So now that, that guy, that person's band from Richmond is coming to California and is like, Hey, can you help me out with the show? And then you say, uh, I'll try, but you have to hit me up two weeks before because whatever venue I would book you in today probably will be shut down by the time you get here because Southern California can't keep a DIY venue to save their life. The reciprocal nature of of hardcore is always something that has, has bothered me honestly and and the, over time now it's just like well at this point if you do something for me do it because you want to do it for me not because you expect something in return like I, that's what it seems so disingenuous um the way that people do things and only in expecting that return favor or whatever and i can't imagine I, yeah the, the amount that that gets lost on people specifically like once you get into a bigger and bigger band is crazy because I, I imagine someone helped touche fucking eight years ago probably thinks that you're still going to book their show. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if we've been hit up in a, in a minute, but it, I, I, you're definitely, you're definitely right. Um, certain things like that have happened before, but like, um, but what I was going to, what I was going to equate that to is like, now, you know, we have our agent being like, yeah, we, we can book you a tour in 
spring of 2022 but who's to say that venue is going to be there by the time that show happens <laughs> you yeah. know it's like it almost feels the same thankfully i feel like the bailout is helping the venues now and to save our stages i think we're going to be okay for a minute but like that was one of those things that was just really you know kind of shocking to realize being like oh that's going to be a new element to this not only is it not only is it the you know competition we're going to be dealing with it's it's everything else and and that that in and of itself is 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 mighty stressful. Well, you know, one of my last conversations that I had with with Riley Gale um, was us talking about how we had like an hour long phone call just catching up about random shit. We were talking about how artists are going to continue to suffer when venues open back up because venues Merch have cut. been struck. Yeah, venues have been struggling so bad, and like now it's going to be the conversation of like. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, we had to be shuttered for two years. So sorry. Now your merch cut's actually going to be 40%. You know, we got to, we got to make our ends meet. We got bills to pay. You know, I feel like I have lots of schemes as to not comply. (laughs) 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 I'll take my fucking business online, pick it up at the van. Yeah, no, for real, (laughs) for real, for real. Um, all right, before we go way too off top off off topic here, which I'm sure this we could we could do all day, um, is uh talk to me about military gun and getting that going because that is, you know, sonically quite different from bands of of, of your past. And you're singing in that and you play guitar in it as well, right? Sing and play guitar. Uh, no, I mean I mean live I'm gonna just sing, but um but I mean I write all the I write all the music. Has you has that band played shows yet? No, right? No, never played a show. Yeah, because you you did the seven inch in twenty twenty. So, but I was yeah. Curious, yeah. Like, what happened was band- the day yeah. that our South that RJC was supposed to go play um, South by Southwest and do a string of Texas shows. Um, one of those shows being with Power Trip, and um, and it got canceled. But our bass player Steph was here, and I was just like preparing her for for. Um, learning the rjc like the lp that we're rolling out right now uh i was teaching her songs from that and then we just kind of like fucked around and made a song and then it just kind of became an obsession of me trying to figure out how to use my voice in a different way and that's basically the 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 obsession with it you know yeah i mean that seven it's just it's remarkable it's it's really good it's super catchy was it did you always know you had the ability to to like carry a melody when you were yelling? I always suspected, but I yeah. think that I have a large degree of like timidness. And if you would have asked me, as funny, I was, I was thinking back to like the very first RJC tour and, you know, those first conversations, you know, like when, you, when you're first getting to know each other as bandmates, you know, I remember yeah. telling Alex, our guitar player, I was like, my goal with RJC is to like lose my timidness and, you know, hopefully like, be comfortable singing by the end of it which is not what rjc sounds like but trying to get over that fear of mm. putting myself out there in that way i'm still yelling it's still aggressive but i mean the the more that the band has gone on the more and more that i've been singing uh the public hasn't been able to hear that but there's you know a lot of a lot of fucking songs and so yeah. um i always suspected i always wanted to do it uh felt capable but also was feared that i was incompetent at it and so it, that fear kind of kept me away from it for a super long time. Besides RJC, did you ever sing it? Like just sing in any bands, any hardcore bands? No. Yeah, Bully and Drug Culture, um, okay. and 
uh, those were bands that I both uh, sing for. Okay, and that was just you didn't you weren't playing an instrument. You were just singing. yeah, no instrument. Yeah, just just singing. Okay, I was good. The reason I was asking is I was wondering if RJC like you playing drums and screaming was like, and if it if that had been your first time was like that ability to kind of hide behind the drum set so it's not as focused on you. It, well, kind of. I mean, so it was like like. I was in those those earlier bands when I was basically in high school, you know, and and I didn't know all the people I know now. And so when RJC happened, people just knew me as a drummer. And uh it was it felt like stepping out in a big way. And definitely the drums were the way for me to workshop the aspect of like I didn't want to figure out how to move my body. I didn't want to have to think about being a frontman, you know? Yeah, like, I knew that I, like I could just find swagger and yeah, and yeah stage exactly. presence and all that. Yeah, no, I get uh, that. So I didn't want to do that. Now I'm going to have to figure that out. But uh, at the time, it was me trying to figure out, you know, stepping out, but also, you know, not, um, you know, I don't want to fucking mosh, you know, to my own <laughs> band or whatever. I don't want to. I just to me, it seemed corny. So I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. Do you, with the amount that that band practices or yeah, I'm assuming practices with how much you're talking about being at the studio. Um, do you feel like you're finding your, your footing in it? Like being just being just a front man, like even though, yeah, you're just doing your practice, but you are doing it in front of your friends, which, you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think there's, um, uh, how do I want to say it? Like there's, there's something to be said about performing even just yelling in front of your friends like if you wrote a song and you have to play it for them the first time like i don't know if you get nerves doing that i know i certainly still do everything um, that i do is yeah. completely demoed before it gets to practice like vocals everything so yeah. um so there's not really that nervous i mean sometimes when we're like if we jam a song like i definitely i just i would say that like ultimately like the thing i struggle with most is the feeling of incompetence and so you know like i show them a riff and i'm like and it's great because sometimes it, they are they like a song that would be completely different if it was made just by myself, like it's so enhanced by other people. But that process of being like, I don't know where this goes, like I feel so terrible with, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I try to avoid that, even though it probably could yield to some great art, some great songs. But I, I don't like that moment of being like, well, what's next? And I go, I don't know. <sighs> yeah. Well, yeah, we could wrap this up with uh, with the last question I like to ask everybody, which is, uh, do you remember the first time where you felt like you were doing the thing that you've been working so hard towards, whether it's making music, making music videos, if any of those things stand out to you as like, you know, a big accomplishment where it hit you that way? I still am not there. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not doing it yet. That's how I feel. Um, definitely like milestones, like I think about like like the music videos like the first time i had like a 15 person crew i was like this is crazy like i'm actually directing right now you know um and with that i felt terrified and scared and i hated every moment of it but um and then i don't know i mean that rjc full us i mean that was a huge accomplishment for myself to be like okay i i finally booked and like played a full us um, which was something that I had like wanted to do since I was 14 years old. But I mean, with that, like, I just, I still am not there. I still don't feel like I'm doing it. I, I, I hope to, uh, to do it in the future. Do you have anything in your mind, like in mind that would get you closer to that goal where you're like, this is what I'm hoping to achieve. Um, 
I don't know. Well, so the whole the whole problem that I have is that it doesn't matter what I've already done. It matters what I'm thinking about doing. And so I don't know if I'll ever have that feeling, you know, like I'm sure you relate to, to some of this stuff and, and it might sound douchey to normal people, you know, like getting your first like checks or, you know, like getting any source of income from music is like a great feeling. But you're like, okay, well, I just, how do I like, how do I keep that up? How do I yeah. do this? How do I not have to worry about rent? How do I not have to, I'm delivering weed right now, you know, like, like to, to, to say that I'm like close to my goals would be um, delusional. You know, like I'm, I'm, I'm working, you know, 40 to 60 hours some weeks uh, for someone else. And that doesn't feel like I'm close to my goals at all. So that's mm. just ultimately I have an unhappiness with, um, with whatever the current thing I'm doing is. So it's just always about whatever's next. I get that. I get that. And I'll tell you from an outside perspective, knowing you as long as I have and watching how consistent you are with whether it's music videos or the amount of output that you're doing. Um, don't don't let that get lost just because you're working a, a, a day job, too, because uh, from like from an outsider, you're you're doing a lot and you're quite you're quite good. So um, thank you. I thank just want to remind. I mean, yeah, I don't want to I don't want to sound unappreciative. I I love I love every moment. I love every moment of it. It's just that I, I, I want more. I want to do more. Sure. And there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but yeah, keep it, keep it up. Cause, uh, just, you know, as a, as a friend and as someone who, who enjoys the music that you make, you know, I, I think you're doing a, a swell job. Thank you. And also no congrats on your record this year. Congrats on the podcast. I have all sorts of questions for you when we're off air about, about the podcast. Yeah. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for coming on the show. We'll uh, we'll log out of here and we'll we'll uh, we'll get this sorted. But uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ian. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple. It helps the show gain more visibility, and that can make all the difference. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yeah.